welcome to episode 103 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with Sycamore trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us in Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that is free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, we're replaying one of our earliest episodes highlighting the work of three professionals addressing lethal means safety in order to reduce suicide in the military-affiliated population. We most certainly could have redirected you back to this episode, which happens to be the fifth episode that we released, but thought that it was important enough to share this episode with you again. We've gained a lot of listeners over the past couple of years, so we wanted to bring this one forward for you to check out. As I mentioned, this is a conversation with three subject matter experts who are doing great work in this space. Dr. Heidi Kraft currently serves as the Chief Clinical Officer at PsychArmor and is a recognized expert on combat stress, stigma, and caring for the caregiver. Dr. Kraft served in the Navy for nine years as both a flight and clinical psychologist. Dr. Kyle Ann Hunter is a U.S. Marine Corps combat veteran serving multiple tours in Iraq as a Super Cobra attack pilot. She has previously worked in Washington, D.C. as both a legislative staffer and firearm safety advocate and is now a professor at the United States Air Force Academy. Dr. Ted Bonar is a clinical psychologist and nationally recognized trainer and speaker. He serves on the Healthcare Advisory Committee for PsychArmor and was previously the Chief of Continuing Education Programs for the Center for Deployment Psychology. You can find out more about them by checking out their bio on our show notes. So let's get into this replay and we'll come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Recently, the three of you participated in a Twitch stream that was sponsored by StackUp.org. This was a collaboration amongst a number of different partner organizations, Brady, StackUp, PsychArmor, the Clinical Readiness Project. And I saw this as a true cooperative effort, clinical mental health professionals and subject matter experts who all want to make a difference when it comes to veteran suicide in general and, and safe firearm storage. I'm interested to hear from each of you why this partnership, either between your organizations or between yourselves. Ted? Yeah, Dwayne, thanks. And it's a great question. I've been fortunate to work in the space of working with military and veterans for a number of years. And I've and been equally fortunate to work with Heidi and the team at PsychArmor for many years about how to bring the best mental health education to providers working with veterans. That's been my focus. We don't all have exactly the same mission, but there's a Venn diagram where there's a really nice triangle between the three of us, Heidi and Kai and myself, where we are all focused on how do we get the best care to military and veterans. And my part in that has been how to send the proper message and provide the best education to mental health providers. So again, I've been able to work with Heidi and PsychArmor for several years on different fronts and different educational efforts. A couple of years ago, I started working with Kai when she was with N Family Fire. And, and of course, now she's at the U.S. Air Force Academy. But that relationship developed very specifically about safe storage of firearms 
and access to lethal means in the context of suicide prevention, which became a focus of mine through my work as uh, a suicide prevention specialist. So for me, it was a natural pairing to work with both Heidi and Kaya on these efforts and specifically get involved with how to send the message of safe storage of firearms to the military and veterans community, specifically to prevent suicide. Yeah, you know, the, the um, I mean, sort of everything Ted said is exactly the way I think about it, of the way that we have met each other. What has become, I think, really obvious, what like, it, it, I think it's obvious when the three of us are together that we are friends, that we consider each other, not just colleagues, but really trusted friends. And I think our conversations reflect that. Our audiences have told us that they like that about the way this works. Then it does sound like we're having a conversation among people who care about each other as well as what they're trying to get across. I thought the other really cool collaborative piece to the stack up work was the focus on and Family Fire's PSA, which was set up like a video game. And of course, StackUp is a nonprofit of veterans using gaming as a way to reach other veterans. And so it was even, I think, a further collaboration of worlds that maybe don't always interact, but it really, I think, worked out pretty well. And going out on Twitch was new for some of us. And to me, it felt like the future, felt like a way to start to have conversations that maybe we haven't had a chance to have before. And, and Kai, Ted being a, a practitioner, but also a, an educator and, and Heidi obviously also being in mental health, you come at this from a different angle as a subject matter expert and how that augments both of their experiences. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in some ways, I'm a little bit of the black sheep because I'm not a clinician or a psychologist. I'm a political science and sociologist by by background. And you came came into the suicide prevention world through the military effectiveness lens is what first drove me into suicide prevention, knowing that suicide is disproportionately impacting our active duty and veterans that are out there. And that becomes a military effectiveness problem because it's not just losing the actual people, but the impact that it has on unit readiness, on unit cohesion, on how we we think about these now citizen soldiers once they they return. And then my own experiences as a Marine and as someone who struggled through suicidal crises myself, for me, it was a, a blending of my academic research life as well as my my personal life. And meeting folks who are on the educational and implementation side is the best thing from a researcher or subject matter expert you can find. People who really can translate and take good work and turn it into life-saving, programmatic work, educational work, engagement work is so important. We like each other a lot. It helps with the personality side of things. But if you look at the complementary skills that we bring, it really allows for a full life cycle of work, education. And, you, and, and Heidi brought up the End Family Fire PSA, which is, I think, an example of that, of a way to take this you know, unique group skill set and talk about delivering it in a new medium. We talk about reaching out to people where they are, the gaming community where they are. I think this group is uniquely qualified to be able to do that. And so it's a partnership that just makes total sense. No, I agree. And, and looking at it from the outside, this is a true collaboration of what we're talking about in the veteran serving community. But this is also a very specific subject. And and, and Kai, this is really a difficult subject within a difficult subject. Suicide, historically, has been hard to talk about. It's been misunderstood. 
Within the complicated nature of suicide, even veteran suicide, the subject of time-based prevention, lethal mean safety, and even more specifically, firearm storage, this is getting to a specific aspect of suicide prevention in the military population. Why do you think that this subject in particular is one that our listeners need to be aware of? So I think it's one of those things. We talk about lethal means, especially among the military and veteran community. I think there's two things really as to why our audience should be concerned about this. One that's broad, and that's just the fact that you know, suicide, having access to lethal means is going to increase the likelihood that someone will die when experiencing a suicidal crisis. Ted and Heidi and I have talked a lot. You can't necessarily predict suicide in a lot of ways, but you can prevent the access to lethal means. So we know that someone experiencing a crisis, if they're able to get help during that crisis, they're very likely to go on and, and live a, a fulfilling life. And so there's this bit of this myth, I think, out there that if somebody is in a suicidal crisis, they will find whatever means necessary to take their own life. And we know that's just not true. If, if someone is thinking that a gun is the way I want to do it, if we break access to that gun, it is incredibly more likely they're going to get help. So that's just number one, is, is putting that out there that someone who attempts suicide with a gun has a 90% lethality rate. Any other means is under 8% that you have. So they're removing access to that most lethal of means just allows time for people to get help. But the next is to really dig into this unique relationship that military and veterans have with guns. It's not the same as the civilian community. For many of us, the lethality of guns is not theoretical. You know, I think when we talk about guns being lethal among the civilian community, it is very theoretical. This thought that, yeah, I know it can kill someone, but I'm really good at shooting targets type idea. I go to the range a lot. Even those who hunt who are a little more familiar with the lethality of guns, it becomes much different when it's human to human lethality. So this isn't theoretical for veterans. They know, and it's often, that's the reason why they want to use a gun. There's also a lot of positive connotations with guns with veterans. These are tools that saved our lives as well. So it's a unique topic area. It's a hard topic area to talk about. I used to think about the double lightning rough and suicide and guns. Like people want to run for the hills. But really digging into understanding how we think about guns, how our relationship with guns exists, and then working to develop tools to have those hard conversations in real meaningful ways is essential. And that's why I'm so glad that I've got folks who have that that clinical and educational experience to be able to help me out with that side of it. And Ted, for you, this is something very meaningful for me to hear. Suicide is hard to predict, but it's not difficult to prevent. And both as a practitioner yourself, but also as somebody who educates other practitioners, why is this subject important, do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. And the hard truth of it is, I want to be careful how I say this. Mental health providers are really good at what they do. And the mental health profession does know how to treat really hard things. And at the same time, I'll say we as a profession aren't well-trained enough on enough things. And one of the things that we're not well-trained enough on are these advanced treatments of how to prevent suicide. Part of that, and it's so important, is how to have the conversation about lethal means. So mental health providers talking about lethal means, and let's talk about guns. How do we talk about guns with a gun owner? How do we talk about firearms with a firearm owning community and culture? So in the mental health profession, we'll talk about culture all the time, right? We'll talk about different cultures based on race and gender and ethnicity and age and geography and language of origin and you name it right? Generation. You can 
break up any of these into different types of cultures. And we in the mental health provider community haven't done enough work, in my opinion, but I think other people agree with me. We haven't done enough work understanding the firearm owning culture. So how do we have the conversation? The, the, the things that Kai talked about at the beginning of what she was sharing with guns being 90% effective in suicide. And, you know, that's not news. Like we, we know that guns are dangerous when there's a risk of suicide, but that's not the same thing as practicing having the conversation from a cultural perspective about the importance of safe storage or the importance of uh, what do we do temporarily during a crisis so that somebody doesn't have easy access to that firearm. That's not the same thing as gun control. That's not the same thing as taking a firearm away from somebody. That conversation is delicate. That conversation must be handled with great care, respect, and dignity. Some of the things that Kai was talking about with what firearms mean to a Marine or a veteran, that's something that requires great care, right? So for me, all of these things come together as somebody who is really passionate about training and training other mental health professionals. And because it can feel so politically charged or culturally charged or whatever, we haven't practiced it enough. I think that there's a phenomenal opportunity to move the conversation forward with real tangible results towards reducing the rate of suicide. So that, that's where my perspective of that comes together. Like we really need to, to integrate the facts that we know them of the high risk with the cultural piece, with the clinical practice of how do we have that conversation with the individual at risk. That's where my interest is coming. And I think that's very important. And, and Heidi, for your perspective on that, in that it is, Ted said, this is a delicate conversation. It's also a necessary conversation. And if the provider hasn't learn to have it delicately, it's going to be done with a baseball bat. It's going to be done abruptly. It's going to be done harshly. And so for your role, how does your point of view play into that? It's really interesting. I last week was walking with a friend of mine who I served in the Navy with. She has left active duty and is working at Kaiser and is married to a retired Marine, as many of us are. So we're, we're having this conversation about her stepson, who she's very worried about. He's feeling depressed and she's worried about him. He lives in a different state and she's talking through this with me. And I asked her, does he have weapons in the house? And she said, oh, like a whole arsenal, like a whole bunch of them. And I said, OK, tell me about it. And she said, they're all in a safe and the safe is bolted to the floor. And right now his mom has the only key. And she said, the reason I'm still worried is that he's going to find another way. And I, I looked at her and I said, oh my gosh, she doesn't know this. So we started to talk about it. And I said, no, actually, the research doesn't show that. And she was shocked. And then she said to me, I'm a physician and I had no idea that the research doesn't show that. Could you do this training for everyone at Kaiser? And, and I found myself just really kind of, I found myself stopping and taking a breath there for a moment and thinking, this is a conversation that, of course, mental health professionals should be the first, the most important probably place we go. But really... We could be talking nurses and family practice docs, and th there's a lot of different touch points where if we could get people comfortable with this conversation, at least just breaking down a few of the myths in a really quick, succinct, and Ted said, delicate way, gosh, we could make a, a giant difference. I, I really, it hit me how much of a difference we could make. So from my perspective, I am a clinician and an educator. I feel like every, every 
chance we get to educate one person that could then educate someone else is the chance to save someone's life. And it really, it stopped me in my tracks. I knew this, but having that conversation made me open my eyes and think like it's right in front of me. It's everywhere. And it really, I think, fueled what was already a fire within me about this. I feel really passionate that this might be the answer, that this might really turn things around. And so I feel incredibly dedicated to these two people and what they've been trying to get out and being allowed to join them in that, um, that attempt to really change the way people are talking about this. Right. And follow up just real quickly on what Heidi just said. One thing I think that's incredibly important is this multiple touch points. You know, we talk about mental health professionals having this tool set, this skill set. But one of the things that we were starting to see be borne out in the data, and I've been working just quite a bit in my own county here with the data from the coroner's office around suicide deaths, which is horrific, but it's it's what you have to do to get to the the root of these problems, is that individuals who are engaged in active mental health care actually see a much lower reduction in their likelihood. Um, individuals who don't see a much higher instance. Those individuals tend to have, I mean, it's something like over 80% of those individuals who died by suicide in our county had a touch point with somebody else in the healthcare system very quickly, whether it was a, a chronic illness or an acute injury or something, you know, so I, I think that can't be stressed enough that there's the mental health toolkit that's there, but all of these other touch points need to be able to have this. And when we think about something like the VA, really to focus on on the veteran community, it's not even just the physical health care providers. We need the financial counselors, the job placement folks, the you know, the, the childcare activists, the ones working with VA loans. I mean, because we know all of these sort of stressors that can lead someone to think about a suicidal crisis, you know, job loss, home loss, financial issues. So getting this training into more and more hands in a meaningful way is what's so important because you don't know who that touch point might be. Kai, you're a professor, right? So am I. That that occurs to me even as you're saying that we have educators of student veterans too, right? It's we could keep we could keep expanding the circle of places where we have the ability to intervene. And I think that's one of the critical issues. Everybody says, how do we solve this? But firearm deaths by suicide is such a significant part of what's happening that this is the solution. If we make an impact here, we can make a significant seismic shift in this. Heidi, you're part of Psych Armor's team, and, and Psych Armor's mission is to educate those that are serving people in the military population. That's a broad goal with a specific focus, but why do you think it was important for Psych Armor to be a part of this effort specifically amongst all of the other things? And for Kai and Ted, why do you think Psych Armor was a good partner for this? So Psych Armor has over 200 courses, online courses that educate people who support veterans in a number of different ways. One of the portfolios I'm the proudest about is our suicide prevention, intervention, and post-tension portfolio, which was sponsored by the NFL Foundation. It brought together a variety of different experts that talked about different tools to assess and potentially intervene with suicide crises, as well as take care of suicide survivors. As we kind of moved along and, and the courses became live and started having people taking them, it became very clear to me that we were missing this piece. And when I had the opportunity to meet Kai, I was so moved by what she was trying to do. But then I realized Ted and Kai had been already working together on this. And 
started to hear what they were doing. And it became so obvious to me that this was a piece our portfolio was really missing and that I could be part of bringing this to the portfolio. So we have been doing the speaking part together and we hope to continue to do that. Ted's been doing a lot of that. Kai's been doing a lot of that. And every time I talk suicide prevention now, I, I bring it in as well. And then my goal is to actually have a couple of courses that support this as well within Psych Armor's library. We really believe it's an important, vital, critical part of the message around this. And so we want to be part of it. And Kai, Psych Armor's role as an organization that's educating people in their learning management system. Why do you think this was important to partner with Psych Armor about the topic specifically? It's getting it in the hands of the people who need to to see it the most. You know, I can I can do research, but being able to, as Heidi noted, being able to actually get out and educate people who need to see this, like Psych Armored's vehicle and the trust and respect they have is an essential piece for this. So it doesn't it doesn't get conflated as a a gun control issue. As Ted said, you know, when we start talking about firearms and, and suicide, it can easily get said as like, nope, this is a gun control issue. I'm not going to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Having a, a vehicle like Psych Armor depoliticizes everything. It puts it squarely in the realm of we are here to help our veterans. And it's a piece of helping their veterans. And I think that's where we all talk about this too. This is one piece of a, a big puzzle around veterans' health, but it's an incredibly important one. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, Psych Armor is uniquely positioned. When you're going to tackle something as big as suicide or suicide by firearm, you need a public health approach, right? And, and I think that Psych Armor is uniquely positioned to provide a broad platform. I'm going to go back to very, very basics here. We use rough numbers, but they're, they're right there. 48,000 suicides per year, give or take, and 24 plus thousand by firearm. 24,000 suicides a year by firearm. Every single time I think about that number, I'm shocked and stunned and, and the enormity of it never goes away. Like it's really easy to throw out that number that more than 50% of people that die by suicide die by firearm. It's easy to throw that number out there, but that doesn't capture the bigness of it to me, right? To me, it's 24,000. Like we can move that number. We have to move that number. We can't talk about suicide without talking about firearm safety if we want to move that number. And I'm not the only one that says that. That's not unique to my perspective. So I think that Psych Armor is uniquely qualified to carry that mission and to carry that very specific goal of reducing that number into a firearm owning community of military and veterans. And it's uniquely positioned to provide specific training to mental health providers or medical providers or general audiences. We do need this education out there. And, and like Kaidi said, it, it can be very basic information about breaking down some myths and clarifying some facts about suicide. And that can be presented to a broad spectrum of people that would have direct impact. And then we can also drill down to a broad spectrum of people that would have direct impact. And then we can also drill down on some specific mental and medical health provider networks and, and really improve the types of conversations we have to a firearm owning community that might be at risk for suicide. We've also been really, really fortunate, not only to the three of us partner together, but to partner with American Association of Suicidology, uh, Clinical Readiness Project, Psych Armor, and Family Fire 
Like we have some very specific trainings that are happening. PsychArmor is the vehicle that that delivers this, right? So I, I, I just think they're perfect to bring all of those messages through to a place where we can make meaningful change and reduce that number. No, I appreciate that. And, and obviously I appreciate each of you individually, but all of you collectively, because I do think that this is an example of the type of collaboration that we need to have. I, I really appreciate you all coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having us and looking forward to continuing to work with my great friends, but also continuing the, the conversation as we get to, to learn more and, and get more of this education out there. Absolutely. That's right. Thank you, Dwayne. Really appreciate it. We would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organization. Find out more about what they do at PsychArmor.org. One of the problems when it comes to suicide is that it's an all-too-common occurrence, but it's still one that is confusing and unfamiliar to many. One of the key points that came up in this conversation is the challenge of predictability. Kai identified that suicide is difficult to predict, but not to prevent. This is something that I think may be counterintuitive for many people. Everyone's looking for how to prevent suicide. Tell me the five signs to look for that somebody's going to take their life in the next 48 hours, and I will prevent it. First, that's not prevention, that's intervention. When someone is that close to a crisis point, the prevention efforts have already failed and crisis intervention must occur. Second, what may be the common indicators of suicide, substance use, depression, financial difficulties, relationship issues, don't always or even often result in suicide. To complicate matters, death by suicide can occur without any of these indicators. And third, when it comes to warning signs, many think that the warning signs are easily observable. The signs that someone's in a suicidal crisis, however, aren't like street signs or billboards with flashing lights. The signs are much more subtle than that. They're the signs that spring is coming or that rain's going to come later today. They're the signs that something's changing in our community. So focusing on predicting suicide is difficult. Establishing a prevention program in a community is also difficult, but it's not impossible. It just requires people taking a different perspective. And that leads me to my second point. Another of the problems with suicide prevention is that there are some people who've had many conversations on the subject. We've researched the data. We've done deep work in the field of prevention. There are others, however, who are just getting started in understanding the subject. Common example of this is the persistence of the 22 veterans a day metric that many use to raise awareness about veteran suicide. We don't lose 22 veterans a day. That number was taken from an initial research study in 2013. The research study clearly stated that this was an estimate and that it wasn't an accurate number. Not all the states in the nation participated in the study, including several with the largest veteran population. Not only that, the number didn't just include veterans. It was based off of death certificate data and so incorporated service members, both active duty and guard and reserve, as well as veterans. We, as a veteran-serving community, need to balance having introductory conversations about suicide in the military and veteran population with having more technical discussions about things like using a public health approach to prevent suicide and the differences between frequency of method and lethality of method. Both conversations are critical. The introductory conversations bring more people together to address the problem, and the advanced conversations are the ones that will produce those solutions. I think that today's conversation does a good job at finding that balance. It's a good introduction to this aspect of suicide prevention, while also providing a basic understanding for the folks who are just beginning to join the discussion. So hopefully you appreciated this replay, and it makes you want to dig back into the previous episodes to hear what else you might have missed. 
If you did appreciate it, we would appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. The Psych Armor resource for this week are the courses related to suicide prevention, intervention, and postvention. Suicide in America is a critical issue with high rates in service members and veterans. Asking the right questions and feeling confident about how to help are the first steps in preventing someone from dying by suicide. Psych Armor hopes that these courses will help you be a lifeline and be there for someone in need. With generous funding from the NFL Foundation, Psych Armor presents a portfolio that promises to provide vital education and information about suicide prevention, intervention, and postvention for healthcare providers, service members, veterans, families, caregivers, and the community at large. You can find a link to these courses in the show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app, as well as on psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care. And it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes the show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track, outstanding guest coordinator, and support and transcripts by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share this show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.